our message series called Box Office Wisdom, and um, usually what we try to do is look at the theme of the movie and then match the theme up with scriptures. In this one, we're taking off from one scene, basically. This, this movie, I saw it this weekend, and um, it's, it's tongue-in-cheek. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of stuff where you're going, how does that work, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's, it's very entertaining. To me, it was, because about halfway through, I realized, I think they intend this to be funny. So I started laughing. Um, and it, it was pretty funny. By the end, we, we, we were cracking up. But anyway, um, we're taking off from a scene. And what happens is John Cale is a Capitol policeman. His dream has been to be the Secret Service detail for the president. At the very beginning of the movie, he has a, through a connection, has an interview for a Secret Service job, and he ends up not getting the job, so he's very disappointed. And as the movie unfolds, he has an opportunity to save the president, protect the nation, and do, do his dream job that he hadn't officially received. So uh, it turns out okay for him in the movie, but what we decided to do was look at when things don't go as planned and you end up disappointed, how do, how do you respond to that? What does the Bible say about how we should respond and what's the opportunity there for people who are following Christ? How, how do we deal with that? Next week's going to be fun. Now, we are looking at the theme, sort of a genre next week. We're dealing with a movie, World War Z, zombies. Zombie themes are all over the place. And... You can see in the zombie theme some, some realities that match our spiritual reality. So we're going to have fun next week as well. This week, we're starting from a scene, not the theme, not a genre, not anything. But we're talking, taking off from this scene in the movie where he has a dream and he's very disappointed. Now, we all deal with disappointment all the time. I mean, I don't know about you, but rarely do things go as planned and we're dealing with stuff. I thought back as I was getting ready for the message to a special date that uh, my daughter and I had planned for, for months to uh, the Dukes in Malibu. And it was right before high school uh, years. It was a double date with some really good friends. And we had this plan for months. We got all dressed up. We you know, were looking sharp. We drove down to Malibu. We were... Uh, seated at a table overlooking the ocean. Now, my daughter was a surfer, and so was her friend. And so we're looking at surfers right there. I mean, we're at this table. It's an awesome view. We're enjoying it. We order our food, and we're waiting for the food to come. Then I received a call from my wife, Cindy. And uh, about a month earlier, my mom and dad had moved in to the house, and uh, my mom was in the hospital. And Cindy called and said, she was very upset. She said, Randy, I think your dad's having a stroke. The interesting thing is my dad was in the hospital room visiting my mom when he had this stroke. She said, I'm going to take him down to ER, but if you could get here as soon as possible, that'd be great. And he was having a stroke. He was having a minor stroke, and he needed some things to be fixed. He was 90, and that kind of thing tends to happen when you get older. And he needed his carotid arteries operated on, and that happened. Said he had the heart of a 70-year-old when he was 90. When you're 90, you want to have the heart of a 70-year-old. That's a good thing. 
So anyway, uh, my point is this. Our plans were shot, and our friends had to deal with that too because we're, we were connected in this. We were together. Uh, we ate hurriedly, and then we headed to the hospital to see what was going on. Often, things don't go as planned. I don't know about you, but I rarely can remember a day when everything worked out as expected. It just doesn't, life doesn't work that way. Ecclesiastes 9.1 says this, So I reflected on all this. This is Solomon in his midlife crisis, and he's trying to figure life out. It says, I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or wait hates him. Oh, waits, awaits him. No, love, oh, yeah, whatever I'm trying to say. No man knows whether love or hate awaits him. This is how life is. We get up, we don't know how the day is going to go. We go to the breakfast table, we're not quite sure how that's going to turn out, are we? we we're, there's this uncertainty that's a part of life that we have to deal with. We, we grow up with dreams. We can have our hearts set, our minds set on things. And we experience pain when dreams don't pan out, when they don't come through. We, we may have had relationships that didn't work out. Maybe you're dating your dream person. That doesn't, that doesn't work out. There's just not a spark. Something happens. Well, maybe you've been in a marriage that didn't work out. Or you've had big plans for your kids, big dreams for them, and then they've struggled. And, and they've tried to work through these things. They haven't thrived. You've had plans for the perfect family, but maybe you haven't been able to have children or you haven't had the number of children. You had a number in mind and and you haven't been able to have the number of kids that you wanted to have. Um, Maybe you had the perfect career in mind, but you needed some connections. You needed something to fall together so that could happen. And it hasn't happened. And now you're just in a job. How do you deal with these things? Maybe you've been looking forward to the perfect retirement, but the way the economy's been going lately, wow, it's, it's just all crashed. And, and you're not sure if that dream is going to come through for you. You're not sure how that's going to work. When these kinds of dreams die, or their death seems likely, we experience a lot of pain, a lot of disappointment, major disappointment in life. And, and we need to know how to respond to that. How, how do you deal with that? This kind of disappointment can lead you down different paths as we react in various ways. One way is just anger. We get angry. That anger can be directed at God or others or just life in general. We're just bitter and angry and crabby all the time. Or we blame others or God. We just figure out who's, who's the problem. It can't be me. I don't want it to be me. I don't want to think about it being me. But who can I blame? Someone crushed the dream, didn't help like we needed them to help. Uh, we can spend years blaming them or God or, or whoever because it seems like God didn't come through here. God wasn't paying attention to my dream. And it didn't happen. We can also respond with apathy, and this is a dangerous one, because I think it's sort of a mix of all these and just kind of dull the pain. And since our heart, what we planned, fell through, uh, it's just easy to say, why bother? You know, I just try to get up in the morning and do 
what I got to do and why bother trying to make it different? This is, just, this is just the way it is. These responses can be native to us. Left on our own, this is the way we're going to respond. One of these ways, I would guess. In the movie, John Cale, uh, the main guy, gets to redeem his dream through some crazy circumstances. But that's Hollywood. You know, they can do, the, the, the scriptwriter can do what they want with that movie. Most of the loose ends are tied up by the end of that movie. But how do we deal with that? How do we deal with, with life when the loose ends are just out there? They're not tied up, and it looks like they may never get tied up. How do we deal with that kind of disappointment? How, how do we respond? For the rest of the message, what I'd like to do is look at what Scripture says about that. It has some very, very helpful guidance for us in how to respond to this kind of disappointment. Uh, I, I, I want to discover basically what, what God says about this. James 5, 7 through 8 gives us a lot of help. In the paragraph right, right before this passage, he describes a, how much trouble the, the people he's writing to have had. James is half-brother of Jesus. He got convinced that his half-brother was the Son of God, God himself, and he decided to follow him. And he's describing the persecution, the trouble that a lot of the early Christians were going through at this time. And this is what he says. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. When things don't go as planned, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is telling us this. Set your hope on the future God has promised. Not on the here and now, but on the future God has promised. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. In the middle of trouble and disappointment, Christ followers are instructed to put their hope in the coming of the Lord. Now, I don't know, if you listen to Christian radio, you probably heard about the second coming or the coming of the Lord quite a bit. And this is a reference to the day, this coming of the Lord. This is a reference to the day in the future when Jesus returns, wraps up history, and makes everything right. That's the day. This is when he comes back, then he's going to make it right. And he's going to move us into an eternity where things are fantastic for us. Heaven. That's what's going to happen at the coming of the Lord. This is the future that God has promised us. We hope in him. We hope in him that he's going to bring this day about. And if you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, here's how Christianity, here's how to do that. You look back at history to Jesus, his life, what he said, how he lived, the evidence for his identity as God himself, and you can verify it in different ways. There's uh, an intellectual channel, just you, does all the evidence line up? There's a pragmatic channel, does Christianity work? Uh, and then there's an emotional level, does it, does it make sense in here? There's ways that we can verify this, but in Christianity, we, we can look back in history to 
his life and the evidence for that. Then, as what, what, if we put our faith in him back then and he came into this world at that point, we can then look forward to the day in confidence that he's coming back to wrap up history and to make everything right. What's going to happen is right here and now, there are loose ends. On that day and not a day sooner, all will be made right. But until then, it's not going to be. And we shouldn't be surprised when it's not. We cannot allow trouble and disappointment to shock us into trauma. Because we're told in Scripture to expect it. We're clued in. God has never promised to remove all trouble and disappointment from our lives. So we shouldn't expect heaven on earth. If we follow Jesus and obey the Lord, we can minimize the trouble we bring on ourselves, but we're still going to have trouble and disappointment. Is, is this an upper for you? you guys are looking at me like, bummer. <laughs> but it's the fact, isn't it? I mean, this is life. Life is life. This is the way it goes. We get disappointed. It's important to understand what we can expect from God and what we can't expect from God This is critical information for your relationship with him because unfulfilled expectations breed disappointment. And if we don't handle the disappointment in the right way, we're going south. We're not going north. We're going south. We're going down. And what happens is many people quit walking with God when he does something or allows something or doesn't do something they wanted him to do, what God does, doesn't do, or allows, just doesn't make sense, so they quit. They quit trusting him. So I can tell you that God does exactly what he promises to do. But you have to have firmly planted in your heart and mind what he's promised to do. That's an important understanding. It's, it's crucial to know the promises of God, what he's promised to do, so that we can know what to expect out of life. Because if we don't, then our walk with him is going to go sideways. Without a clear understanding of what's going on in the world, you quit. You quit, you quit following him. Or you just sort of apathetically just go through the motions. And I can tell you this, if you don't put... If, if, you, if you're trying to follow Christ and if you're considering following him and you only give him half of your life or half of yourself, you're going to be miserable. It's not going to make sense. You've got to give it all to him. You've got to put your entire life in his hands in order for him to, to make sense, in order for him to do the work and what he wants to do in your own heart and life. Something I get asked often is, hey, how's life treating you? You know, isn't that a normal greeting sometimes? Hey, how's life treating you? And I've learned to say, okay, or not so great, or pretty rough right now, but God's been good to me in the middle of all that. That's, that's my line. That's how I've, because I need to remind myself, I can't expect life to be treating me well. I know God in the middle of life is going to treat me fantastically. He is going to be good to me, but I'm not going to expect 
more out of life than God's promise to give. Life is life, and there are reasons for it. I don't have time to go into all the backdrop of that. But there are reasons life is the way it is right now. It's a normal human reflex to try to leverage our righteousness or our efforts to please God so that he'll give us what we want. And he never promises to give us what we want. He never does. Ecclesiastes makes that clear. The righteous and the wise. They're in God's hands, but they don't know what's coming. They really don't. Um, So it's clear, righteousness doesn't guarantee anything. Righteousness, we do that because it's right. Before God, God made us. And really, it's, it's the best way. It's the way to please him, the one who made us. What God does promise, he promises us at least two things that, that apply to what we're looking at this morning. First of all, he promises to walk with you through the trouble and disappointment. And even to use it for your good. He promises that. He's going to walk right there through, through, with you through it. You're in God's hands. If you've given your life to Christ, you're in his hands. And if you follow him for any length of time and walk through trouble and disappointment with him, you know that when you choose to walk by faith, it goes better. You've experienced this. You've experienced the truth of this first promise, that he really does make it good. Second, he promises to make everything right at his coming, at the coming of the Lord. On that day, all will be good. For those who've entrusted their life to Christ. On that day. Not a day sooner. On that day. That's when it's going to be good. So we have to make sure that as we're living our days. We don't expect heaven on earth. Very important. If you do, you're going to be sorely disappointed. It's going to hurt. If you're expecting heaven on earth. It's, it's good to turn your mind, if you're following Christ, this is, this is what we can do. It's good to turn your mind to the one we can trust with everything. Who's going to bring it together on that day. We look forward to that day. If, if your dream dies, turn your heart to God and say, God, I, Father, I want to fulfill your dream for me, not mine. I want to fulfill your dream. Can you show me what that is? Can you show me how to live for you? And set your heart on that day when everything's going to be made right. When a project unravels, and don't don't they all at some point start coming apart and unraveling and there's problems and it's enough to screw you into the ground? What can I expect? Just tell yourself, what can I expect? This is earth. This isn't heaven. This is what happens. I'm looking forward to work without trouble on that day. That's going to happen. I think we're going to have interesting, challenging work to do in heaven. It's not, it's, there's not going to be trouble, but it's going to be challenging. That's cool. I like a challenge. I don't appreciate the trouble sometimes, but <laughs> never really. I appreciate what God can do through it, but not, not the trouble itself. When relationships fracture or start falling apart, you can work through the trouble the conflict and the struggle and the relationships, looking forward to that day when everyone's going to be at peace. There is a day coming when 
we're going to be made whole, our relationships are going to be made whole and complete, and we're going to experience peace in them. You work toward a resolution knowing that's coming, but that's where the hope is that God is going to bring that day about. It's not in the here and now. Not, not in the right now. So this is how you set your hope on the future that God's promised for us. Second thing, don't get derailed from doing what you know to do right now. Don't allow the trouble, the disappointment to derail you from knowing what you need to be doing right now. Verse 7, first part of it in James 5 says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. In farming, when it's time to plow, you better plow. When it's time to plant, you better plant. When it's time to harvest, you better harvest. If you wait, it's too late. So life is much more like farming than manufacturing. I think uh, Thomas mentioned this in, in the announcements. If you miss the opportunity during the season of that opportunity, it's too late. You can't max, and the way life is, you can't manufacture the things that really matter. They take time, like planting, sowing, harvesting. There's, there's time that goes into this. You just can't manufacture them. So disappointment can cause us to miss the present opportunity. And that's what James is telling us. Look, don't allow that to happen. If we get derailed, there can be a lot of collateral, collateral damage from the missed opportunity. If we allow disappointment and grief over the loss that we've experienced to overwhelm us, then those around us feel unimportant. That's some of the collateral damages that happens when we're disappointed. In the Old Testament, there's a story about Hannah. Hannah really wanted a baby. She couldn't, she couldn't get pregnant with a baby, and so she was pleading to God. She was upset. She was, she was disappointed. She was struggling with the disappointment. And I like what her husband says to her, but it, it illustrates my point. The husband says, Hannah, aren't I worth more to you than ten sons? Yeah, just like a guy, isn't it? Yeah, he's, that's, that's a guy. That's the way I think. Come on. I know you're having trouble, but aren't I worth more than the trouble <laughs> and the disappointment? But translation, what am I, dog food? You know, what, what is this? So what was going on is she was so focused on what she didn't have, the people around her felt unimportant. That's what could happen. So more collateral damages, we start dropping our load of responsibilities. We start dropping the ball. We wallow in the disappointment. We miss opportunity to handle our responsibility. People around us start picking up the load because we're just overwhelmed, and, and they begin to resent that after time. We, we miss an opportunity when we're wallowing in the disappointment to show our kids how to handle disappointment the right way. And uh, they're going to experience over and over again in their life, they're going to experience disappointment. They need to see you set the example in how to respond to it. So if we're not careful, disappointment causes us to miss the present opportunity and creates a lot of damage, a lot of collateral damage. When disappointment distracts me from knowing what I should do right now, I discover 
what's really important to me. And where I'm putting my hope. And if I do that, if I get distracted, it's normal for us to have to stop and deal with the trouble and think it through. I mean, we're we're not going to be automatic on this. But if I allow myself to get derailed from following God in this, I'm putting my hope in earth, not in heaven. That's where our hope is. Our hope is there and then, not here and now. This is the way that we're being guided here in this passage. Very, very helpful for me. Finally, we're instructed to be patient and not lose heart. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's coming. Here's the core idea of what it means to be patient in this passage. You set the timer of your patience for the long run. The idea here is it's, you have a long fuse before you blow. That's the idea of that word patient. You set the timer of your patience for the long run. The long run is the day you die. That's it. It's easy to think, I can last under this trouble, under these circumstances for another week. Surely this, this trouble, is, surely we're going to have this figured out in the next week, and then everything will be good. Or another year and business, the family issues, surely we're going to be able to work through this in a year. And we, we set our, our timer for then, whatever, whatever date we give it. We've been trained by education, we've been trained in our schooling to expect an answer to every problem, to expect a resolution to every dilemma. That is a trap, because there is not. There is not a resolution to everything we're dealing with in this world. There just isn't. Don't set an arbitrary date for relief. Because it's a trick. It's a trick the enemy, Satan, likes to play on us. Don't set that date. Don't set a date and put your hope in that date because you're going you're gonna to blow at that point. It's going to be trouble. Some troubles in life don't end. Just things we deal with constantly over and over again. And we can be trapped into thinking that we need a resolution right now. But there are going to be loose ends that we have to deal with till the day we die. The coming of the Lord on that day, it's going to be made right, not a day sooner. We hope in the one who is going to make that day happen. We put our hope in him because he, at that point, is going to come back. He's going to wrap up history. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be awesome. And he is going to make it right on that day, not right now in the day-to-day. He is not going to do it now. He's told us that. He's made it clear. If you follow Christ, put your hope in the day of the Lord. If you're investigating Him, this is one of the real values to knowing Him. You have a hope. You have a hope in that day. Set your endurance timer for that day, not a day sooner. Set it for then. I love this description. This is one of my favorite descriptions of that day kind of gives us a picture of what it's going to be like and tucked in here 
you, you hear a lot about the second coming, as I mentioned on Christian radio, and people talk about it a lot. Tucked in here is the right response to that day. And I want to look at this. But the day of the Lord, 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's going to surprise us. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness? What he's saying here is this is the right response. I need to be a different person more and more every day. I need to be more like Christ. I need to let him make me more like him himself so that I'm ready for that day, so that I just transition on getting ready for that day and for whatever trouble between now and that day I experience. I grow in holiness, which is purity set apart for God's purpose, and godliness, God-like character, Christ-like character. I want to become more and more like, this is our response to that day. We let God change us through the trouble and the disappointment and make us more like himself. It goes on, uh, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's our hope. The new heavens and the new earth. This earth, God's going to have to make a redo because of the rebellion of the human race toward him, living life independent of him. He's doing a redo, though. You can get in on that. That's the day we look forward to. I'd like to wrap up the message this morning by uh, having you, asking you to think through your next steps as a result of hearing it. Um, if you would, please take out the connection card and finish completing anything on there that you'd like to, to let us know about, uh, or one of these next steps. There are several that I'm going to suggest, and you may have one all on your own. You can jot it in your mind or write it on the card, too, as well. That'd be great. These next steps are practical steps you take to apply uh, something that God may have said to you during the message today. Uh, here, here are some suggestions. My next step today is to not let the death of a dream remove me from the present. Maybe that's happened. And you want to check that and say, God, would you help me to deal with the disappointment in a right way? You may need to talk to somebody about that. Find somebody to talk to who's been walking with God for a while that can help you work, work that through. Second step, for the first time, I accept Jesus as my Savior and I want to follow him as Lord. I want to entrust my entire life to him and really give it to him. For the very first time, I'm giving my life to him, to trust it to him and to wait for that day. And then another step would be to focus on the day of the Lord at least one time this week. Put it in your calendar, set it. Or, or when you're disappointed, ask God to help you that when you face that disappointment, when it wells up again in you, I'm going to... I'm going to hope in the one who's going to make that day happen. I'm going to shift my focus to him when I experience disappointment. That's where our hope comes from that day, from the one who's going to make it work. Um, and then there's some other ways that you can express interest in, like if you'd like to know about Church, uh, church in the Valley, more about us at the preview on the, seven, the 14th or the other meetups, the hiking meetups on Saturday the 6th and the Buncos on Saturday the, the 13th. 
Um, in closing, I want to share with you a story. This is a very encouraging story, for me anyway. Um, uh, I want you to see a video about someone whose dream got crushed and what they did when they were left with the broken pieces and how God worked through that. story of Chuck Colson. Colson was the right-hand man to President Richard Nixon and served as special counsel to Nixon in his presidency. And he was described as Richard Nixon's hard man, the evil genius in an evil administration. I'm sure there are a lot of different opinions about the administration, but that's one way he's been described. Colson wrote that he was valuable to the president because I was willing to be ruthless to get things done. This, this is where he started. He, he worked to this point of influence, had a lot of influence in that administration, the most powerful nation in the world, uh, because he, his, of choices he essentially lost it all. So he worked to get to this place of influence, the pinnacle, his dream, where he wanted to be, and he made some choices that caused him to, to lose it all. He was at the heart of the Watergate scandal. Um, he was convicted of obstruction of justice and put in prison. He basically lost everything he had built and worked for. As his world was collapsing and he was about to get arrested, a friend of his gave him the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. After he read it, his friend explained how to just give his life to Christ, to following Christ, and he decided to do that. From his experience in prison, when he was released, Colton, uh, Colson went back to the prison and began Prison Fellowship, which today uh, is the largest outreach to prisoners. He describes it a little bit in the, in the video. It's an outreach to prisoners, ex-prisoners, and their families. He died in 2012, um, but he spent the rest of his life until that time when he committed himself to follow Christ to his death, building a different kind of life and doing something different, from an evil genius to bringing Jesus Christ to people in prison. It's kind of an amazing story, but I want you to watch this video, and you see how God works through all of this, and then we'll sing a song. But there's a second paradox, just like it, not unlike it. Second paradox is this. When you think everything is broken and gone in your life, as I did, there I am in prison, and uh, I had opportunities. I wasn't disbarred in my home state. I could go back and practice law. Uh, and I got along in prison. I'd been in the Marines. I know how to handle myself in that environment. Life threatened it once, seriously. But I managed it. That wasn't the tough part. Being separated from my family, that's tough. The tough part was realizing that all my life I'd been idealistic as a kid. I'd wanted to get ahead because I wanted to serve my country. I wanted to do something important. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to make this a better world to live in. I wanted to contribute to that. I was very idealistic. That meant much more to me than making money. And I realized I'll never have that chance again. Disgraced politician, public enemy number one, butt of all the jokes and ridicule, particularly when my conversion became public and everybody was mocking it. It was front page news every day for a year in the middle of Watergate. Commentaries on the news networks night after night. Chuck Colson improbably has become a Christian. I realized I'm never going to be able to do something significant or important in my life again. Don't ever underestimate God. I got out of prison and realized I had many offers. I had some good offers, as a matter of fact. A man flew from Texas and said, I'll put a million dollars in your capital account. 
after one year if you'll come in and work with me. I had all kinds of opportunities. But I decided that I'd been in prison for a purpose, that God wanted me to be back in the prison, and so I started going back in. And from those very, very modest beginnings, I took the first book royalties that I earned when the book I sold and put them into this ministry to get it started. From those very humble beginnings has come a ministry today that runs 10 prisons in America as Christian prisons as models, getting a phenomenal recidivism rate, phenomenal success. We have 50,000 volunteers around America, and the ministry has spread to 113 countries of the world. And every Christmas, we deliver gifts to children whose parents are imprisoned. 500,000 kids a year. We've been doing this since 1982. Incredible things happening, none of which I planned. you got to believe me. I'm a pretty good strategist. I knew how to plan things. I didn't plan this. I thought, okay, God, if you want to take me and use me in the prisons, you take me and use me in the prisons. And he did far more with my life out of my brokenness and out of my weakness than I'd ever been able to do with my life out of my own power and influence and abilities. But there's a second. God of this city, you're the king of these people, you're the Lord of this nation, you are, you're the light in this darkness, you're the hope to the hopeless, you're the peace to the restless, you are, there is no one like our God. There is no one like our God For greater things have yet to come Greater things are still to be done in this city For greater things have yet to come Greater things are still to be done in this city You're the God of this city You're the King of these people 